Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast, presented by SeatGeek, the best place to buy Chicago White Sox tickets. Download the SeatGeek app on your smartphone today and save $20 off your first purchase by using promo code SOXMACHINE. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of July 23rd, 2018. With the All-Star break finally over and the White Sox now have 64 games remaining after their series in Seattle, where they lost two out of three, I thought it would be fun to bring back one of our favorite games on the show, Over-Unders. Our guest picker is from 670 The Score, Joe Ostrowski, as he'll call whether or not Jose Abreu will hit more than 25 home runs in 2018, Will Lucas Giolito allow 91-plus walks at the end? And can the White Sox win more than 60 games? Later in the show, we'll have the minor league report where Aloy Jimenez is definitely pressing the issue. Birmingham is fighting for the division lead for the second-half playoff spot. And Winston-Salem sets a new club record for most wins in their first 100 games. At the end of the show, Patrick Nolan, P. Knowles, will be answering your questions in P.O. Sox. Joining us from Seattle is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. If I'm understanding this correctly, following you on Twitter and your adventures in the great Pacific Northwest, uh, your first stop was in Tacoma? Yep, just a uh, Tacoma Rainiers game um, playing Salt Lake B, so it was Mariners versus Angels AAA, and just with the Seattle traffic patterns, I'm visiting my brother and sister-in-law out here and, and where they live on the peninsula. Really hard to get to Seattle, to, to Safeco, in any kind of reasonable amount of time during rush hour. So for Friday, you know, instead of battling 
the work traffic all the way in. We just went to a AAA game, which was a really nice stadium um, in Tacoma. A nice, uh, yeah, a nice affordable evening out. And then uh, I, I missed kind of a snoozer of a ball game. It appeared to be with the White Sox and uh, <laughs> you know losing three to one. So I didn't mind that. And then when the weekend opened up and it was a lot easier to get to the city, went to both the Saturday and Sunday games at Safeco. Anyone of interest from watching a AAA game? Well, Gordon Beckham was there, our, our <laughs> old friend. Um, he went uh, 0 for 4 and, and uh, with a couple of ground outs to the left side, a pop-up to the right side and a strikeout. And I realized, you know, like um, I think twice he made, at least once, I, I think twice he made the final out of the inning. And I realized how many times I'd watch him kind of cast his helmet and bat aside and kind of walk slowly to his position with a miffed expression while somebody brings out his hat and glove, like just do one of those, like I've saw that a hundred times. Now it's in a different uniform and it's still the very same thing. So that was kind of odd, but reassuring, you know, a constant, uh, in my life, which I never knew existed. So that was, um, yeah, I guess reaffirming in a way, but, uh, otherwise Mike Zunino was on a rehab stint, uh, Griffin Canning, uh, Jose Fernandez, the, um, uh, the Cuban star was playing, it was DHing for Salt Lake. Uh, I kind of, was following him when he you know, looked like possible if the White Sox could sign him, you know, add him to the mix. And so, you know, no real stars, but some names are from uh, either first rounds past or rehabbing or, or what have you. Well, it's great to hear that Gordon Beckham is pulling the ball, at least. At least it's not grounders to the second base. Oh, no, it was on the, oh, no, the, yeah, the ground to the left side. But, yeah, the pop-ups were the, to the right side. Anything in the air went to the right. A little part of me is sad that Gordon Beckham – is still playing AAA baseball. But then again, he's still relatively young-ish, still chasing the dream, I guess. But how is visiting Safeco Field on Saturday and Sunday? At least you got to watch one good game. Yeah, no, it was, uh, you know, it's enjoyable. It's a nice park. It's one of those parks. Uh, I kind of lump it in with Nationals Park and a couple others where nothing – you go there, nothing wows you. You know, there's no uh, kind of signature element of the park itself. You know, there's no like green monster or ivy or anything where you walk out and, and your jaw drops like, wow, this is what I saw on TV. You know, it's more just a an excellent stadium, excellent all around stadium. Food and drink is good. Um, you know, the location is excellent for you know getting to there from the city and from the ferries and so forth. So, um, no, I always enjoy going there. And yeah, it was a nice game. It, it was a Second time I've been there and second time I've seen Felix Hernandez and the second time I've seen the White Sox beat him. So because uh, I remember seeing the Kings court in uh, the, the left field corner uh, the last time, too. But um, it was in both cases, both Saturday and Sunday, it was the kind of game where the White Sox lineup went to sleep the first time through. I think Felix had nine uh, six strikeouts in the first three innings and then all of a sudden second time through everything opens up and the offense showed up on sunday that didn't happen against marco gonzalez and and it, it just so happened that uh, lopez got jumped right away uh whereas dylan covey had the start of his life so uh it, it was kind of like the two uh, two of the same games in terms of offense and the rhythm of the game but two different two vastly different outcomes when it comes to starting pitching performances let's talk about dylan covey's game of his life eight and a third inning scoreless he got to 105 pitches he allowed the single to uh, Segura and then Rick Renteria pulled him preventing the White Sox from having their first complete game since they started this rebuild which started back in December of 2016 
Do you like the call from Renteria pulling Kovey at 105 pitches, Jim? I don't. I mean, like, I, I would have liked to see him go one more batter, but on the other hand, I think that's just part of Renteria's M.O., and I think it's ultimately a healthy one that he's, he's somebody who doesn't get cute trying to get, um, you know, whether it's wins, whether it's shutouts, you know, he, he doesn't go nuts trying to chase a, an, uh, I guess, a stat. You know, it's more like he's very conservative with the starters, or at least far more conservative than, uh, you know, either Robin Ventura or Ozzy Guillen were with their starting pitching. So, yeah, with, with a guy like Covey, I wouldn't go nuts chasing an accomplishment. But, you know, given that he's a ground ball type, given that there is a runner on first, I wouldn't have minded him seeing him go one more batter, you know, especially with the righty at the plate. But um, I understand the move, and I think ultimately it's, I guess, reflective of a healthier management approach to pitchers than Ventura had. Maybe Renteria knew that Louis Garcia was going to rob the home run when he put in Joaquin Soria. Oh, yeah. That was a terrific play. That, <laughs> that was an absolutely terrific play. And the White Sox ended up winning that game 5 to nothing. That was the only win that they had in this series. Still staying on Dylan Covey here. Anything from this start, Jim, to suggest that maybe he can go on a run again similar to the one when he joined the White Sox from Charlotte earlier this year, because you can stack this start compared to what he did in Fenway. And I think what he did in Seattle edges what he did in Fenway, but he's had impressive starts and he has proven that he can put together two, three starts that are quality in a row for the White Sox where he hasn't been able to do that in the last couple of weeks. Do you think that maybe something clicked here that he can carry this moving forward? It seemed like he had his best stuff. I mean, uh, it's a little bit different watching it from the th- – I was behind third base on the first level you know, versus watching it in the center field camera, which is how I've seen pretty much every other Dylan Covey start. So when it comes to, <laughs> I guess, what I'm used to comparing it to, I can't speak as – uh, th- confidently, I suppose, um, you know, comparing to what I've seen before, but it did seem like he had his best stuff, you know, his best sinker, 95, 96, a couple times. Uh, he did have the uh, breaking ball. He was going to that a lot more. Uh, at least he seemed to have the location out right away, you know, from the first inning on. Um, he had the, uh, uh, you, and I saw him trying to throw it, uh, you know, pitch backwards the second time through the order, trying to be a little bit more protective of his two-seamer, and I think part of it was uh, the Mariners helping them out a little bit, so they didn't really get anything in the air for a lot of the game. Uh, a lot of early pitch, uh, early count swinging, and then, you know, the, I guess the inning, I'm trying to think, it must have been the fourth inning. I don't have my uh, scorebook in front of me, but the inning where there was, uh, I think Yolmer Sanchez started out in error, um, that's where I thought, like, yeah, you know, throw it, you know, error in a walk, and he, all of a sudden he's in trouble, and then Segura gets uh, caught stealing at third base. And I think that's the kind of, uh, yep. uh, and, and it wasn't even a double steal, so it wasn't that it moved the, uh, you know, the runner ahead in the scoring position regardless, and it was just, you know, a, a chance to get, you know, steal 90 feet on a, on a sleeping catcher. I, I think uh, that's something that might have given, you know, at, at one point it might have been a breaking point in the start where, yeah, I mean, you know, kind of like a, a fork in the road and. Yeah, or a sliding door scenario where if Segura is safe stealing third base, maybe that inning looks a whole lot different, and then maybe a start looks a whole lot different. But I think in that case, uh, it really took, uh, I guess, really uh, eased the tension in the inning and, and really cut down on the run expectancy. And uh, then he got out of the rest of the inning, and they never, never really threatened uh, the rest of the way, especially after that big crooked number went up. In that game, Avisil Garcia made his return from the disabled list and made 
an immediate impact. He was one for four. He did strike out three times, but he hit the three-run home run off Felix Hernandez, his 10th home run of the season. And Jim, we continue to see the power game offensively from Avasil Garcia in 2018, despite in limited action that we've seen Avi. And we'll talk more about that in the over-under later in the show with 670 scores Joe Ostrowski. But Jim, the question that I uh, that popped in my mind when Avi hit the home run and noticed that he's got 10 home runs and the way that he's been swinging the bat compared to Jose Abreu, who's been still kind of cold-ish uh, offensively, is will Avisil Garcia hit more home runs in 2018 than Jose Abreu? It's possible. Um, you know, the, the way Avi's homers are going, the center and left field, the pole field, um, that was a majestic homer. He had just, uh, you know, sounded good, had the nice backspin float all the way over center field. The center fielder had to turn around early with his back to the uh, back to the plate. So, yeah, it seemed like all the people on the field knew it as well as you know, how the angle, you know, from the side, you know, everybody seemed to see that he got it all. And watching him run, um, he had the grounder where he reached on the air and took second. Seems like he's moving a bit better. Um, you know, he, I was a little bit uh, worried about that with the second hamstring strain. And then, the, you know, when he was recovering from the first hamstring strain and he hurt his knee while doing that, that was a setback, um, you know, given a guy that his size and given how much of his game, at least for the season, was predicated on, you know, those infield hits and, you know, trying to, uh, you know, stretch singles and doubles and, and really make the most of his unique physicality. Uh, now I think you know, he's, you know, lofting a homer once a series or even more than that. So, you know, I think that's saved some wear and tear on his legs. So, uh, yeah, given the way his power is going uh, and, and the direction it's going, it seems like that's a lot easier way to hit homers than the way you hit them before. So I could see him, you know, cracking 20 homers and that would be for the first time. I think he's topped out 18. Yep. So, uh, yeah, that would be, uh, it seems like there's a path to 20, 25 homers that has never been there before. And given the way Abreu is not really scoring anything up, he did hit a hard foul ball. I think, you know, it was a liner that went just foul. It was probably the hardest ball I've seen him hit in, uh, aside from that one homer against Kansas city. Um, you know, uh, that kind of pole field power that hasn't been there for Brayu. It's definitely there for Avi. Yeah, and Tim Anderson in the third game on Sunday hit his 14th home run of the season. He's just six away from 20, which you'd be able to secure a 2020 season. And it's been a while since the White Sox have had a hitter hit 20 home runs in a year and also stole 20-plus bases. Without looking it up, if I had to guess, I'm going to say Alex Rios. Did Alexi Ramirez do it in 2008? I don't think so. I, may, I think it might have been Rios. All right. All right. I'll have to fact check myself later in the show to see if that is correct. But that's my guess that Rios would have been the last one to do it. In case anybody's screaming at the podcast. <laughs> yes. Uh, finally, the last note of the Seattle series. You alluded to it earlier when comparing Dylan Covey's start to Ronaldo Lopez's poor start. That was a really rough first inning to watch. From Lopez, not only did he obviously give up the big three-run homer, but he walked in a run. The first run of the game was a bases-loaded walk, and it just seemed that he didn't have much control of any of his pitches. And it really looks like he's relying strictly on his fastball, Jim. What do you think was the cause for this rough outing today for Ronaldo Lopez? Well, that's a case where you might have a better look at it than I did because I was in the upper deck. I was in the last, very last row of the upper deck. <laughs> um, you know, I, 
basically we figured one, you know, one good seat, one quote unquote bad seat, but I really like those seats. Uh, if you ever go to Safeco, like it's 320-ish or, or 323 around that, um, you get a pretty good sight lines and you get a great view of the city behind uh, the left field wall. So it's just kind of nice to sit up there on a nice day. And uh, if the White Sox, you know, or if your team of choice is trailing big early, you can at least just enjoy the scenery around the park and kind of zone out for a couple hours. But in that case, I couldn't really see, I could see that he was missing based on the targets. I couldn't see exactly how, but I think it was partially that. And then, uh, you know, the, I'm not sure it looked like a brain cramp on a brave or at least a lack of yeah. communication. Um, cause you know, from, yeah, that's one case I couldn't see really have an idea of what was happening around home plate with, uh, you know, strikes and balls, but I could see that one when the you know, ball went in and out of his glove. I, uh, you know, being very helpful from a uh, hundred yards away, I was pointing towards second base, like you know, throw it that way because the runner didn't start, and I, there seemed to be two guys hanging around second base. Uh, both uh, Moncada and Anderson were there, uh, and uh, I'm not sure if you know, it's kind of like a bunt in a way where if his back's to the play, I imagine somebody's got to yell out too, you know, just to you know tell him where to throw the ball. But yeah, I don't know if Lopez was not doing that or. You know, Bray, you just lost his bearings and, you know, was kind of beyond help. Couldn't tell, but, you know, I don't think that helped either. You know, getting that classic uh, White Sox level of support hmm. uh, behind Lopez, uh, uh, you know, compounded problems, certainly. I wouldn't I wouldn't pin it on it. I'd say Lopez created his own problems. But I think given that he's not a great strikeout guy um, and, and that uh, especially, um, you know, he has these periods where he is pretty much doing all the heavy lifting in his fastball, Defensive slip-ups are, are really the last thing he needs and, and really a lot tougher to pitch through for a guy with his limited repertoire. And that's pretty much the highlights from the Seattle Mariners series. because It was a great bat flip from Anderson. It, it was. I didn't think he knew it was gone, at least from the TV broadcast. <laughs> or maybe he's got a new home run strut that he's working on. Yeah, maybe that was a weird trailing big one. It was. It just kept going. <laughs> yeah, can't pip. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, not not a lot going on offensively for the White Sox in this series. As Seattle, they they can pitch well. It it's frustrating because it's like Marco Gonzalez doesn't have necessarily high end type of stuff. Uh, neither does Wade LeBlanc, and Felix Hernandez is just a shell of his old self. Other than Avi hitting that big home run against Hernandez and the White Sox being able to score five runs against Seattle on Saturday. Uh, kind of frustrating for your favorite team to struggle against lefties like Wade LeBlanc <laughs> and Marco Gonzalez. We'll see if that's enough yeah. for Seattle moving forward in the postseason race as the Oakland Athletics and the San Francisco Giants. That was a dandy of a series. The A's are now just three games back of the Seattle Mariners. Seattle is 60 and 40. On the year, the White Sox are 34 and 64, and they hop on a plane from Seattle and they'll make their way to Anaheim, where they'll have a four game series against the Angels. The Angels are 50 and 50, which would be in great shape if they were in the American League Central, but they are not. And they are right now 10 games back of the Seattle Mariners for the final playoff spot. So the Angels are going to make a run here. To get into the postseason, they're going to have to get it started against the White Sox. As Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, these are 9.07 p.m. Central Time games, folks. It'll be Lucas Giolito on Monday against Jamie Barrara. On Tuesday, it's Carlos Rodon against Felix Pena. On Wednesday, 
it is James Shields against Tyler Skaggs. And on Thursday, it is a 3.07 p.m. Central Time start. It'll be Dylan Covey against Nick Trapino. And Jim, like I mentioned, the Angels, they're 50-50. and 50. And obviously, when it comes to the Angels, it'll be exciting to watch Mike Trout for four games. I'm sure he's going to excel. But this is crunch time for Anaheim. They really need to win this series, at least win three out of four, if not sweep the White Sox, to still have a beating heart in this race, if you can call it that, uh, as far as to try to catch the A's and the Mariners for the final wildcard spot. What are you looking for out of these four games from the White Sox point of view as they head to Anaheim? Well, one of the interesting things I'm, uh, you know, watching Eloy Jimenez tear it up, you know, box score after box score. um, It seems like it's, you know, you mentioned it's crunch time for the Angels. It seems like it's got to be crunch time for the corner outfield spot with the White Sox. And, you know, Nicky Delmonico being back, but facing two lefties against Seattle. So the White Sox went with different lineups and uh, Delmonico didn't play on Sunday. He had a nice double against, uh, um, you know, Seattle on Saturday. And, you know, one of those, you know, we, we talked about before when he had the before he had the hand injury that he really wasn't hitting the ball hard. That was a case double, you know, well struck off the bat, looked like it might have been gone, hit it to the deepest part of Safeco, went off the wall, you know, for a double. That was the kind of contact that he made a lot of last year, not so much this year. So, um, you know, that's the kind of thing where I'm looking hopefully for more from him. But at some point, you know, it seems like it's got to be uh, soon that the White Sox call up Eloy Jimenez. Maybe they're waiting for. Trades are something kind of a 40-man roster, you know, whether they trade Shields and Sedano or Soria or something like that, open up more 40-man spots and then don't have to do so much juggling with, you know, Jimenez and whoever else they bring up from Charlotte to replace those guys. Maybe that's the case, but seems like, you know, between Davidson and Palka and Delmonico, that, that corner outfield DH spot, uh, it seems like it's go time for them, you know, whether it's two of them or three of them or just one of them to distinguish themselves. So when, so if and when Jimenez comes up in the near future, maybe, you know, with by the end of the month, um, you know, Rick Renteria has some kind of priority list for those other bats, you know, wherever they come, whether it's DH or, you know, an outfield spot. Jim and I will reconvene on Thursday, July 26th, as we will have Sox Machine Live after the conclusion of the Angels-White Sox series. After the trip to Anaheim, the White Sox come back for a three-game series against the Toronto Blue Jays for the final weekend in July. Jim, thank you so much for calling in from Seattle on your mini-vacation. Greatly appreciate it, and I'm glad that you got a chance to watch Gordon Beckham one last time. (laughs) (laughs) My pleasure, and uh, have fun with the rest of the show. A quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or you need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. I use SeatGeek all the time to buy Chicago White Sox tickets as it's by far the easiest way I found to shop for tickets. I could be anywhere and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. Love using the deal score as it shows me parts of the stadium where I can get the most bang for my buck as it scores every single ticket available based on view and cost. Also, I'm a big fan of SeatGeek having the tickets digitized, being able to scan my phone 
easy access into the stadium. I don't have to print my tickets. And you can use SeatGeek for the upcoming home series that the Chicago White Sox will have next weekend as the Toronto Blue Jays will be rolling into town. And SeatGeek has great deals right now for Friday on July 27th. Tickets start at $12. Saturday, July 28th, that's Superhero Night as the first 12,000 fans will get an Iron Man bobblehead. That tickets are $14. And on Sunday, which is Family Day on July 29th, it is just $7 between the White Sox and the Blue Jays. The best part is that our fans and listeners get to save $20 off on your first purchase. All you have to do is just go to SeatGeek.com or download the SeatGeek app on your smartphone and use promo code SOCKSMACHINE to save $20 off on your first purchase. Again, that's promo code SOCKSMACHINE to save $20 off on SeatGeek.com or on SeatGeek, the app. The Chicago White Sox kicked off the post-All-Star break schedule in Seattle. And like we did before the season, I pulled together the Zips projections for the rest of the 2018 season to play our favorite game on the podcast, Over Unders. Joining me to make his picks is the host of two of my favorite shows, the Hit and Run Show on 670 The Score and Early Odds on VSIN. From 670 The Score, it's Joe Ostrowski. And hello, Joe. Thanks for returning to the show. Josh, appreciate the kind words. And all you had to say was, hey, Joe, gambling talk? And I'm in. So (laughs) it wasn't a tough book. Well, before making the picks, what are you hoping to see from the White Sox in their remaining 67 games of 2018? Yeah, it's really just what about 2018 is really all about and what it's been throughout the start of the season. It's about development of these young guys. And I know there's going to be a lot of concentration on which guys are going to be coming up next. And we'll be talking a little bit about that. But you want to see progression especially from these young kids. And we, we're starting to see it a little bit with Moncada and Giolito and Tim Anderson in a second full season. And the win-loss total is going to be awful. We knew that going in. But once you start to see that, I mean, people want an, an immediate turnaround. I mean, nationally, I don't know why, but the White Sox have been knocked over the last month or two. It's, it's like people forget what this is like, the struggles that the Royals the Cubs and the Astros had to go through before they were able to climb the mountain and win a ring. And looking at, you mentioned as far as those key developments, these over-unders are based on what Zips is projecting. Of course, Zips is the projection system that our good friend, Dan Zaborski, who now writes for Fangraphs.com, has developed and has posted these on Fangraphs.com. So if you want a chance to follow along and see what Zips is thinking of the other White Sox hitters and pitchers, uh, because we're not necessarily covering everyone, we're covering the key folks here for the remaining 67 games of the season. So starting with the first one, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about the trade rumors in a moment, but over under 25 and a half, Joe, season total home runs for Jose Abreu. So when Jose Abreu's 2018 season ends, do you think he'll hit more than 25 and a half or are you going under? See, I was going to give you all the credit. I thought you came up with the numbers. I didn't know it was Dan Zimborski because some of these are very difficult to pick. But at Jose Abreu, to hit over 25 and a half, he's really going to have to pick up the pace. Now, just look at what he's done year by year. Last year, post-All-Star break, 17 homers. Uh, 2016, it was 14. The year before that, it was 16 homers. So if he hits that mark, once again, any of those numbers, he's going to go over 25 and a half. So 
I'll say, yeah, he, he does pick up the power in the second half of the season. He has a history of doing that. I would go over 25 and a half. Now, Richard Justice of MLB.com, he was on MLB tonight and MLB Network on Friday reporting that the Houston Astros are still very interested in Jose Abreu just because they are not confident in Evan Gaddis being consistent for the rest of the season. He's been very hot and then he's been very cold. So, Joe, which team does Jose Abreu end 2018 with? Is it going to be the White Sox or would you take the field? Yeah, I guess if you're going to pick Nits, that that is one position that you could take a look at with the Astros because they don't have a lot, a whole lot of issues. I understand the long-term trend of teams not repeating for a World Series, and it's been so long since the Yankees did it, but uh, they might buck that trend this season. Rick Hahn has said again and again that Jose Abreu is more valuable to this locker room and this team than any other team. Now, it doesn't mean he was, he was not willing to trade him. He's willing to listen to anybody, as he should. But I just don't see a team willing to offer enough to the White Sox. And it sounds like they want him he- for years to come. So I think Jose Abreu ends the season on the south side. I agree with you, but it is something that could get really serious if the Yankees and Red Sox load up on bullpen arms. I could see where Houston says, all right, we need another bat if everyone is going to stockpile in arms uh, for the postseason. It'll be very interesting to see how the remaining two weeks go in the trade deadline. The market's moving a lot faster than I've expected. So moving to one of the key players that I think everyone's gaining a little bit more excitement, Joe, and that's Yuan Mikata because he did end as far as the final two weeks before the All-Star game on a high note. He is hitting much better. However... Looking at his total strikeouts, he's going to challenge as far as the White Sox team record. And I'm setting the over-under, or Zips is setting the over-under, at <laughs> 207 and a half strikeouts for Yohan Mikata in 2018. Are you going to go over or are you going to go under? Well, of late, we have not seen those bunches. We saw those bunches of bad games where, whoa, Mikata just had six, seven, eight strikeouts in a, in a period of a couple of games there. What's going on? We haven't seen that in a while. It's slowed down a little bit. And now we're nearing the point of 650 plate appearances in his professional career. And we are seeing him take strides a little bit there. I think that's going to continue in the second half. So I will go under the 207 and a half case. I enjoy the optimism. Zips is projecting that Yohan Mikado will strike out 78 more times in 2018 i'm going to go under as well looking at our listeners and fans that have submitted our listeners and fans went over for jose abreu 51 percent though so it's pretty close 140 people voted 51 percent went over for yoan Mikata, 53 percent are going over as well so we got an overcrowd here joe early on with everybody moving to tim anderson the bar is 47 and a half and that's the season total extra base hits that tim anderson will finish in 2018 will you go over or under for anderson reaching 47 and a half i love that we're having this conversation josh i don't know if you knew that we'd be saying over under 47 and a half extra base hits for tim anderson right now he is on pace for a 22 homer 22 double season before the year sign me up you take that out of tim anderson And I thought that people coming into the year 
were unfairly critical of him, and they just kind of threw away that red-hot September that he had. Well, that, again, that's against some poor pitching, a lot of September call-ups, and no. He, it's really continued into this season in just his second full season, and you're seeing the growth. Um, yeah, I, I don't see it stopping. Give me over 47.5 extra base hits. Would 50 be too high of a Ooh. bar, or would you even go over on 50? I would go under there. <laughs> see, and I'm not, and I'm not even okay. in much of an overbetter, Josh, because so many things can happen. One injury could completely knock this thing down. But I, I, it's it's close at forty seven and a half. I would go over there, but once you get to the fifty mark, I, I would I would lean under. Yeah, Zips is projecting ten doubles, two triples, and seven home runs for Tim Anderson in the remaining sixty seven games. Which that that's a good stretch for Tim Anderson as far as power. Still flexing those power muscles. I, I'm gonna also go over as well. Uh, I I think Tim Anderson has another hot streak in him where he's gonna get hot for a couple of weeks. Now, somebody that has compiled a lot of extra base hits, more than I was expecting, especially in the triples department, is your league leader in triples, and that's Yomer Sanchez. And the over-under is 12.5 triples for his season total for Yomer Sanchez in 2018. Are you going over or under, Joe? See, people are going to think I'm some sort of a White Sox homer here. But if you're anti-Yomer, you're just anti-human to me. Something's wrong with you. <laughs> and the White Sox need to be playing Yomer as much as possible. Okay? Like 2018 we talked about is a season of finding out exactly what you have as a team takes their lumps and you're hoping for some growth. Now he's under control for three and a half more seasons. Now it does, everything isn't about is this guy going to be a superstar. There are certain roles and Yomer Sanchez – can fill a role on a pretty good team in this league. So you find out what he can do, and he's on pace to eclipse that. I think he's on pace for 15 triples, Josh. So I will go over Yolmer because I don't want to hang out with you. I don't want to talk to you if you're going <laughs> under on Yolmer. Zips is projecting just three more triples from Yolmer Sanchez in the remaining 67 games. I oh. am going over with you. I think Yolmer Sanchez will hit five triples in the remaining 67 games. And, yeah, I mean, he's entering Lance Johnson, one-dog territory (laughs) with how many triples that he's hitting this year. Perhaps the hottest hitter in the White Sox lineup in the last month, and I can't believe I'm saying this, is Omar Nevaez. And this is a different type of over-under. We have over-under and push. And the number is 725, and that's the season-ending OPS for Omar Nevaez. Are you going to go over, are you under, or do you think 725 is where Narvaez will end? We have a large sample size to go off of. I, th- I think that the 725 Zips projection is pretty interesting because that's exactly what his career average is so far, 725. Um, so the, the bump in slugging makes me lean over. He already has, what, 10 doubles in 52 games this season. So I'll say that continues, and it's and it's jumped up each season, but very little confidence. But I will go over, maybe barely over. I'm going to go under. I think he's going to get cold, and I think teams are going to pitch him a little differently in the remaining 67 games. I think he can still get above 700, but I'm not entirely positive on the 725. So I'm a little more pessimistic on Omer Nevaez than you, Joe. 
but if he wants to, you know, get to the 730s or even the 740s, by all means, be my guest. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how Orwin Arvaez, if he continues this, he continues hitting well, actually, uh, into the rest of July, into August. It'll be really interesting to see how the White Sox want to handle the catching duties heading to 2019 because we should see Wellington Castillo at the end of August after he comes off his suspension. I think perhaps a topic that's on the mind of White Sox fans, especially after the Charlotte Knights game Thursday night, is the number of prospects that we could see called up by the White Sox before the end of the 2018 season. Michael Kopech has pitched really well in his last two starts. Aloy Jimenez is just racking up multi-head games. I put the over-under line at three and a half. This isn't Zips. This is mine. Three and a half prospects called up by the White Sox before the end of 2018. Would you go over, Joe, or are you going under? Top 20 prospects that you guys on Sox Machine are talking about on a regular basis. Sure. That's what we're looking at? Yeah, top 30 from MLB Pipeline, Future Sox, wherever. Okay. The difficult part here is trying to erase everything that you know is White Sox baseball and how they handle prospects from as recent as a couple of years ago. And Rick Hahn and Chris Getz have proven, okay, we're we're not doing the fast track thing anymore. We're going to make sure, and then we're going to make sure again. And guys are going to hit every level. Does Eloy Jimenez have to play in AAA? No, but that's how we're going to handle it. We're taking everything extremely slow. And I know you're including the September call-ups, but I'm going to go under. I'm going to go under three and a half. I agree with you. I think the only three that we're going to end up seeing is Aloy Jimenez, Michael Kopech, and Ian Hamilton. I think Sebi Zavala's injury and the fact that he's starting slow in AAA prevents the White Sox having a fourth. It would be kind of weird to have four catchers in September because, again, Castillo will be coming back, and then you have Castillo, Kevin Smith, Denoma, and Aveas. You still got to find playing time in September, I think, for Kevin Smith and Omer and Aveas to see who's going to be worthwhile for the 2019 25-man roster. Uh, but I agree with you, Joe. I, I see only three players, and that's Jimenez, Kopech, and Hamilton. Do you see Kopech and Jimenez joining the White Sox before the end of the year? A month and a half ago, I thought they were going to find a way to keep Kopech down. But the way he's going right now, I... I don't see that as a possibility <laughs> he's back to completely dominating and I, I think Kopech will be up and as long as he can stay healthy Jimenez will also be up at the major league level we're probably more so September maybe we were thinking before the year that hey maybe it could happen in July or August but but they're going to wait a little bit longer but I, you know if something negative were to happen if there were some struggles to go on I think they could make the argument of keeping them down all season. And it's all about positivity for the future. You want that extra year of control. I mean, that's going to be a conversation that we'll be having next spring in February and March and how they handle everything. But uh, that's going to be a big deal. And some Sox fans may be upset at the time, but the White Sox are going to be very smart about this. Moving over to the pitching side. And I think this is a depressing over-under that I set but sometimes you got to tackle the difficult topics. And it's 91 and a half. The season total of walks given up by Lucas Giolito. Are you going over or under 91 and a half total walks allowed by Lucas Giolito? Among all qualified pitchers, Giolito still leads baseball with a 13% walk rate. 
But <laughs> we have seen improvement, Josh. But that's how bad it was early on. Well, it was the last time he's had just one of those blow-up starts where it was way over four walks. Or, and there were a couple early on starts. He had seven walks. We haven't seen those over the last couple months. So I'm going to side with, with, with the way things are trending for Giolito. I mean, last year, the most walks we saw in all of baseball was Wade Miley with 93. A couple of years ago, it was Jimmy Nelson, 86. Uh, Tyson Ross, a few years ago, with 84. So to get to 92, it's got to be really bad. It's got to be bad all season. So I, I'm going to say uh, we're seeing Giolito figure things out a little bit, and I'll say under. Zips has 31 more walks given up by Lucas Giolito. Ronaldo Lopez is projected to almost catch Giolito in the remaining starts of 2018 with 28. I'm going to say under, and I'm going to say he's going to get to 90. He won't get to 92, but I am going to go under, and he will find a way to stay below (laughs) 91 and a half. This is me trying to be optimistic about the control of Lucas Giolito in the remaining starts. He has been showing glimpses, though, that things are getting better. Now, moving over to Ronaldo Lopez, I don't think this is a very high strikeout total for the amount of starts that he's going to end up having in 2018, but the over-under is 142.5. The season total of strikeouts for Ronaldo Lopez. Would you go over or under that total? I like what we've seen out of Ronaldo Lopez lately. We've seen him call out the rest of the team, kind of stepping up as a leader. We've seen Rick Renteria call him out, and he's responded and been more focused in some of his starts. And I'll go back to the trends. And things are trending up as far as the strikeouts go. Lately, we've seen multiple outings. Ronaldo Lopez is striking out a guy in inning. So uh, I'll say this ticks up a little bit in the second half. He's, he's learning about American League hitters more seeing the same game plan. So I'm going to say over 142 and a half. Yeah, Zips is projecting that Lopez will have 61 strikeouts in his remaining starts. I'm going to go over as well. I think Lopez can hit 150 strikeouts. Man, long are gone the days of being able to count on Chris Sale and Jose Quintana to have 200 strikeouts, right, Joe? Well, I mean, that's baseball <laughs> in general. Now it's like, whoa, that guy had a quality start. He went six innings. That was unbelievable. (laughs) No, yeah, there's just, there are only so many sales and so many Scherzers in baseball. It's it's just, it's a game of bullpens now. The next one, I think, is a good number if he can stay under it, and that's 25 and a half. The season total of home runs allowed by James Shields. He's looking a lot better since he first arrived to the White Sox, especially in the home runs allowed category. Lately, it has been a home run per start, uh, but it seems that he's going to be trending right around 25 to 26 home runs allowed for 2018, according to Zip. So are you going to go over that amount and things will get worse, or are you going under for James Shields? Yeah, we're, we're trying to make a projection on a guy, and we don't know what team he's going to be playing for, right? <laughs> I mean, he's on pace for 26 home runs, just barely over. Uh, difficult to tell. Is he going to be pitching in the American League or the National League? Is he going to be pitching for a team that's just looking at him as, hey, can you just please eat up some innings for us because our bullpen is dying. We have our playoff spot locked up. We don't really care if we end up losing this game. You're just going to have to wear it for us. We're looking for 115 pitches out of you. We're really not sure, but I, I'll say under 
Like, let's say he goes to a playoff hmm. team. Let's, let's say he goes to a playoff team, and maybe they're, they are fighting for a spot. If he's getting lit up, they're not just going to let him wear it like the Sox have from time to time. That's a good point. I think a realistic destination for James Shields is the Oakland Athletics. Yeah. And if he can join the Oakland A's and play in the Coliseum, I think that helps him out. But if he's going to stay with the White Sox all of 2018, I have to go over. I have to go over. Slightly, I'd say that he'd give up 27 home runs in 2018. Um, but I like I like your optimism here so far. <laughs> High on the hitters, under for the pitchers, over for the strikeouts. I, I like it. This is kind of rubbing off on me, Joe. Uh, now to really test your faith here, another over, under, and push. And the number is five. The season total ERA that Dylan Covey will end with in 2018. Are you going over, under, or are you taking the push at a five ERA for Covey? to end the year. Josh, I have a feeling that uh, once we're back in the full swing of baseball again, my optimism will not be rubbing off and you'll be very bad online <laughs> like you have been much of this year with the White Sox. You know, earlier this year, it wasn't too long ago, we had Nick Hostetler on hit and run. And it was when his ERA was 229 in mid-June. And we were just talking about it just how great it is and, and the turnaround from a season ago and how he's just finally healthy and look at what we have. And, and with this rebuild, you were not expecting, maybe you have a piece in Dylan Kobe, but uh, uh, the conversation has certainly changed. So how does he respond moving forward? And, it, and again, it's about the development. And I will say his theory at the, at this time is five, six, nine, I'll say, We'll see a bit of a response, and it will get back below five before season's end. <laughs> I am not on. I'm not with you on this one. I'd be happy if it doesn't reach six. <laughs> to be honest with you, Zips for his remaining starts thinks that he will make seven more starts, and his ERA in those seven starts will be five point six four. So you're going. You're going under five. Yeah, yeah. Do you think he's going to be in the rotation at the end? You know, that's a good question. It really depends if he still struggles with the second and third time through the order. Because what some people are suggesting, and I think this is a good idea, is to cut ties with Chris Volstead, move Covey into the Chris Volstead role out of the bullpen, a guy you can feel comfortable with having him face an order one time through, so take care of two to three innings. And you, maybe you could pair him up with like a Michael Kopech. So if Kopech does struggle in his first few starts... You can have Kovey come out of the bullpen, or even Hector Santiago come out of the bullpen and help eat innings and don't burn out the bullpen. It'll be interesting to see where Kovey ends as far as 2018. I think at the moment, I would still pencil him in the starting rotation just because I think the White Sox want to firmly know what they have in Dylan Kovey going into 2019. So I'd say he's still in the rotation at season's end. Yeah, that's completely fair. Why not? I mean, again, it's on repeat, and people are sick of hearing it. We're sick of saying it. But this is what 2018 is all about. Let's figure out what you have. Do we have some answers on some guys? And let's not waste this opportunity. The next one I think is pretty interesting, and he's getting a lot of work, and a reliever that I didn't think he would have this much work in 2018, but he's been one of the bright surprises, and that's Jace Fry. And the over-under is 60.5 innings pitched 
by Jace Fry. Obviously, pitchers can't pitch half an inning, so this is a great set uh, to go over under on. So with Jace Fry, are you going over 60 and a half innings or are you taking the under? Yeah, this one's very difficult to handicap. And we, we've seen it out of Fry. You've seen a lot of lefties in the game. Sometimes the situation dictates, well, I only need one, maybe two outs at most out of you in this spot. So I will go under 60 and a half. I think Renteria is going to ride him and it'll be over. And I'm going to be interested to see how he responds to the big workload in the major league level into 2019. Is he someone that you feel confident that the White Sox can count on to pencil him in on the 25-man roster going to 2019, Joe? Oh, yeah, I definitely think so. See, teams going through this rebuilding process, usually one of the last things that they really start pouring money into and making sure they have exactly what they want is the bullpen. So any young guys that are showing some promise, they're going to count on them. They're going to give, it, give them multiple opportunities. And Jace Fry is one of those guys. I'm definitely banking on him being part of next season. We have two more left. The second to last one is about Michael Kopech. And we think that Kopech will be called up some point in 2018. But the over-under line is three and a half. The season total of starts by Michael Kopech in 2018. Would you go over or under that amount? He's back to being extremely dominant. Not that it ever left us for an extended period of time, but there were a couple of bad outings, a lot of walks, and he was hit hard, but very little to pick at with Michael Kopech. Uh, We saw it again on Thursday night as they aired the game locally. He's got 20 strikeouts, two runs allowed in his last two starts. (laughs) we're not going to be able to push him back much longer. It's getting to a point now, Josh, where pretty soon we're going to be saying, listen, you're not helping his development by staying in AAA as long as he keeps this up. So I'm going to go over three and a half. Yeah, I'm going to go over as well. I think it'd be beneficial for the White Sox to give Kopech at least five starts in 2018 to see what he struggles with. So he has something to work on in the off season and think about heading to spring training camp into 2019 And if he does light the world on fire and he has five great starts, great. That gives him a confidence boost going into 2019. This is someone that I think needs that challenge right now because watching his starts in AAA, Joe, these AAA hitters can't touch his fastball 97, 98 miles per hour. They, They have difficulty handling his type of velocity. He can't lean on his curveball or changeup, right? He doesn't need to throw those pitches to get AAA hitters out in the major leagues he will need those pitches so I, I i agree with you i think it's time to give him a challenge and i think it'd be very beneficial to both parties for michael kopech and for the white Sox if kopech can have five starts before season's end so i would say over on that amount and the last one and i do not think that the white Sox are going to catch the orioles especially after trading away manny machado i don't think baltimore is going to win 50 games this year uh by the way i took the over preseason at 74 and a half joe on the amount of wins for the orioles Oof. i i recall <laughs> <laughs> i messaged you last time i came on back machine so i was gonna stay far away but i know you've already burned that money and you're trying to forget about it and and laughter is helping you get through these yeah, tough times. It, it most definitely is the orioles are not going to come within 25 games of what i thought they would win in 2018 uh, but the over under is 60 and a half wins the final season win total 
for the Chicago White Sox in 2018. Fangraphs is projecting that the White Sox will finish 61 and 101. Are you taking over 60 and a half for the wins or under? Uh, so what's going to happen at the very end, it's going to be, what kind of White Sox fan are you? Do you want to see 100 losses? Or do you not? Because once in a while, you you get so aggravated with a team, you end up rooting for a hundred losses. Like that's some form of punishment. Like something bad is going to happen to you if you get to a hundred losses. Now I'm looking at the very end because I think this is going to come down to the end. And, and what's on the schedule? And in that last month, they do get Kansas City. They go to Baltimore. That last week is they brutal. go to Baltimore. It, okay, it looks brutal though. But you know what? Is Cleveland going to be trying? Because you have Cleveland twice in two weeks. Are the Cubs going to be trying? Is the division going to be completely put away? Or are we going to see September calls for those teams starting those games and they finish the season on the road at Minnesota? I'll, I'll say over 60 and a half. It's probably going to come down to the very end. But, but I'm looking at some soft teams in the final month, and I know those other teams are probably thinking the same thing about the White Sox, but I think the Indians and Cubs will have their divisions well in hand. Yeah, that, that back-to-back series is brutal for the White Sox. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Cubs and Indians are going to be far better shape. But what will make it interesting is I do think that Kopech and Jimenez will be on the White Sox roster, and if everyone can find a groove like they did last September – uh, they could surprise people. I mean, we, we still call it out. It's still shocking that the White Sox went into Fenway Park and won a series against what is the best team in Major League Baseball right now, the Boston Red Sox. I'm going to say over, and I'm going to say the White Sox matched the 2013 record and finished the year 63-99. and 99. They will avoid 100 losses just to piss us off one more time, Joe. In 2018. Wait, why would that piss you off? Okay, so you are that tortured Sox fan, and at the end of a long year, you're going to be rooting for more losses for a draft pick or because you want to make them feel bad? I don't know. I, You know, it'd be interesting because how is Jerry Reinsdorf going to handle a 100-loss team? You know? It's only a one-game difference, but if he watches his team reach 100 losses, is he going to snap out of this rebuild mode and tell Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn, we're not losing next year. Go build me a winning team. You know, that's that's one of my fears in the rest of this year and heading to the offseason is how Mr. Reinsdorf is going to handle how 2018 ended up. It sounds like through the grapevines that – Jerry was not exactly happy with how the Chicago Bulls season ended up, and I can't get a good feel if it's because they didn't lose enough (laughs) or they didn't win enough games. Uh, It'll be interesting. But with the Orioles and Royals, I mean, I think both of those teams realistically could lose 120 games this year, Joe. And the White Sox are not going to get the number one pick because they're just not as awful as those two other teams. But I guess it's a benchmark. Uh, if you're rooting for the White Sox to get triple-digit losses, there I, you go. Uh, I think you'll be disappointed. I always felt people were very unfair to Ken Williams, and they put everything that they didn't like about how the Sox were being run at Kenny's feet. Kenny's not the big boss over there. Kenny answered 
to Jerry when he was running things at the time, when it, when everybody thought it's just like, we've gotten into the, we got into this rut of years, years. And I'll raise my hand too. Everything bad was Ken Williams fault. And everything good for a while was credited to Rick Hahn. And that's just not how it works over there. And I, I don't, I don't think so because once you made this decision to go with a full-on rebuild and all the injuries that they've dealt with with the prospect, they understand maybe this is pushed back to a five, maybe maybe six-year rebuild instead of a four- or five-year rebuild with all of those injuries piling up. And the other thing is you just can't go out and buy a winner in today's baseball. And unfortunately for the White Sox, they have to look around because you can easily make the argument that the four best teams in baseball – all reside in the American League. So what, what are you going to spend? You're going to spend all this money, and you're going to, okay, maybe we can go buy a wild card spot if everything works out perfectly. Once they went down this road, they they had to commit fully. So I'm with you. I hope the White Sox don't reverse course in that manner. Yeah, let's avoid. I mean, it was fun covering the 2015 offseason, right, after 2014 when the White Sox won 10 more games in 2013, and they got Jeff Samarja and Melky Cabrera and David Robertson. We thought, oh my gosh, everything has been solved. And no, uh, it didn't end up being that way. And they jumped the gun on what it looked like the White Sox were already rebuilding at that moment. So I agree with you, Joe. I hope they avoid that. I'm just calling out what my greatest fear will be <laughs> after this year. <laughs> this is the bottom. This is the bottom. <laughs> You can follow Joe on Twitter. He's at Joe0670. And listen to Hit and Run Sunday mornings on 670 The Score. He also does the morning updates as well on a variety of 670 The Score shows. And you can listen to Early Odds. I highly recommend it for those that are interested in sports betting or if you do bet on games. Joe brings on terrific guests to talk about the big events on the podcast. You can listen to that on iTunes, Stitcher, and of course on VSIN.com. Joe, as always, thanks for coming on the show and playing over-unders with us. It was a blast, Josh, anytime. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X5 gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Now it's time for the Minor League Report. We start in Charlotte as the Knights are 47-53, making serious gains in the second half after playing poorly in the first half. Of course, all anyone is talking about is Aloy Jimenez, and for good reason. He's forcing the issue. In 20 games, Jimenez is hitting 351 with a 400 on base percentage, and he's slugging 622 with five home runs and five doubles. With only seven strikeouts and five walks and 79 plate appearances, Jimenez is checking off all the boxes. Our preseason prediction was Jimenez to be called up in early August, and if Jimenez keeps hitting like this, I'm not sure how the White Sox keep him in Charlotte. Down in Birmingham, the Barons are leading the Southern League's North Division with a second-half record of 17-13. They are one game ahead of the Montgomery Biscuits. Alfredo Gonzalez, who briefly saw time in Chicago this season when Wellington Castillo was suspended, 
has been helping a great deal offensively, hitting 383 with a 396 on base percentage and slugging 532 in 13 games. Zach Collins is still doing a good job of getting on base with a slash line of 245, on base percentage of 407 and slugging 419. Starting pitching, Jimmy Lambert has been doing a great job for the Barons as he won the Southern League Pitcher of the Week honors. But Lambert is on the disabled list and will be out for two weeks with a strained oblique muscle. That means that the Barons want to still hold on to first place. They need to count on Dylan Cease and Alec Hansen to carry the load. Cease struck out seven while walking three in his last start and allowed three earned runs in five innings against Jackson. And Hansen had six walks in five innings in his last start. The Winston-Salem Dash have set a new club record for most wins in their first 100 games. As on the season, they are 61-39, and 20-10 and 10 in the second half as they lead the division by a half game over the Booze Creek Astros. Offensively, this team is still on fire despite with all of the promotions and injuries to Mike Rodolfo and Luis Robert. Blake Rutherford has an 803 OPS in 82 games. Luis Gonzalez is at 800 OPS in 27 games. And Laz Rivera continues to hit as he has an 869 OPS at shortstop. Canapolis is still struggling in the second half as they are 14 and 15, four games back of the Lakewood Blue Claws, which is the Philadelphia Phillies affiliate for first place. Now that's good news for the Intimidators because if the Blue Claws win the division again, the Intimidators have the second best overall record for the wild card, currently just a half game ahead of the Delmarva Shorebirds. The 2018 first round pick from Oregon State, Nick Madrigal, is getting some attention because he doesn't strike out. Seriously, Madrigal has yet to strike out since joining the White Sox organization. In five games with Kannapolis, Madrigal is 9 for 21 hitting with two doubles, a walk, and two stolen bases. And over the weekend with the Great Falls Voyagers, 2018 second-round pick Steele Walker hit his first home run with the White Sox organization. Hopefully, we'll see him soon in Kannapolis playing alongside Magical. That will do it for the Minor League Report. Now it's time for your questions in P.O. Sox. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter by tweeting your questions to us at Sox Machine, posting your questions on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Sox Machine, or helping support the show and the website by becoming a friend of the podcast going to patreon.com slash Sox Machine. And with Jim in Seattle... Filling in for him to answer your questions this week is fellow editor at SoxMachine.com. It is Patrick Nolan, but we know him in these parts as p And hello, p Thanks for being the guest answerer, if that's a word. The first question that we have comes from Nick. And Nick is asking, Spencer Adams pitched well so far in AAA. Can he be a potential fit starter to start 2019 or during 2019? And Nick, this is an interesting question because it wasn't long, not too long ago, Pinoles, that we thought perhaps Spencer Adams could be part of a future White Sox starting rotation. Obviously, that came before the rebuild. How does Spencer Adams fit into the White Sox near-term plans, Pinoles? Well, I think... Um 
2019 rotation, when I think about it, there's there's three guys that health permitting, I figure, are pretty much locks to be in it, and that would be well, Michael Kopech, uh, Carlos Rodon, and Ronaldo Lopez. And uh, once you get past those three guys, then you have, um, you know, Dylan, Dylan Kobe might still be in the mix. Uh, Lucas Giolito will be around, and it, it's a question of whether they, they feel like they, they want to um, get in time in the minor league and use that option. So he 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 might be a candidate. And then uh, Jordan Stevens has actually asserted himself very well at AAA. So I imagine he, uh, if, there is, if there is a competition for a fifth starter job, Stevens might be involved in that. And then Spencer Adams, um, you know, he's – He's at AAA. He's made it all the way there. Uh, expectations for him, I feel like, have been tempered over the years. And even his start at AAA, you know, he's got a low ERA, but he's still really not striking anybody out. So I, I don't really see him as somebody to get too excited over. But you know, as we all know, and as we've seen over the course of the past, you know, five, six years, there's there's often attrition in the starting rotation. Guys go on the disabled list and you need to have people fill in. And I have to imagine that um, if the Sox depth needs to be tested, that Spencer Adams um, will probably get an opportunity. But I'd imagine that if he winds up pitching significant innings in the White Sox rotation next season, um, it's going to be out of necessity rather than by design. Yeah, at this moment, I think that he could be trade bait. That if the White Sox decided to make a move, that he could be included in such a deal. Not exactly headlining a deal anymore, but (laughs) this isn't isn't before the White Sox traded Chris Sale. Again, just a couple years ago, the tone would have been much different. We were much higher at Spencer Adams, and we thought that he was in the future plans for the Chicago White Sox, but things have definitely changed in the starting pitching front for the White Sox and it'd be interesting to see if Spencer Adams can make the adjustments because even speaking to like folks that do prospect rankings like Jim Callis you hit you hit on it in the head Pinoles it's the strikeouts he needs to learn how to strike out more hitters so people can be confident in his ability to pitch in the major league level but Nick great question about someone that we don't talk a lot anymore or as frequently as we did a couple years ago now, our next question out of the mailbag comes from Beef Loaf of the Section 108 crew. And Beef Loaf has a very good question here that I don't want to answer, but he's forcing us to. Uh, what <laughs> Beef Loaf is asking us, Penals, pick one non prospect, non Carlos Rodon, or Jose Breu, or Avasil Garcia from the current White Sox 25 man roster that you secretly root will succeed and be on the next White Sox winner. Yeah, I've actually kind of been a quiet Adam Engel supporter this whole time. I have seen that he can sometimes put the ball out of the park. I love to I love to watch him play center field, even though his defense has taken a little bit of a step back this season. So I, I'm going to answer Adam Engel, but only because I think that the word secretly stops me from saying uh, my man Dylan Kobe. <laughs> For me, it's going to be Jace Fry. And at the beginning of the year, I complained about the bullpen. And for some of you, you were calling me out on that, saying the bullpen's going to suck. It's a rebuild. Get over it. But the White Sox do need to find some pieces that are going to stick around in the bullpen that can not only, one, prove that they can be healthy, but they could also be quite effective because it can get expensive in a hurry to build a bullpen from scratch if you cannot develop one in-house. And it does look like the White Sox may have some other options from the prospect front, like Ian Hamilton and Ryan Bird, that could possibly help the White Sox. But 
if the White Sox are going to be spending money anytime soon, I'd rather have them spend it on position players than on bullpen pieces. So I'm secretly rooting for Jace Fry to continue his success that he's had in 2018 and prove that this is not a fluke year and that he can stick around because every bullpen arm the White Sox can develop in-house that's more dollars that they can spend on position players where there are some areas that I'm just not confident that the White Sox have in-house solutions. Uh, For example, like third base still moving forward. But Beef Loaf, that is an excellent question. And I, I'm interested to see who people are secretly rooting for. I bet there's a lot of Daniel Polka answers uh, that could possibly go there. Maybe some Matt Davidson, maybe some Omar Naveas answers out there. Be interesting to hear who you guys are secretly rooting for will be part of the next playoff contending White Sox team. But great question, Beef Loaf. And the question comes from John, and John is asking, with Daniel Polka, Nikki Domonico, Adam Engel, and the two Garcias, Lurie and Avisil Garcia, what's the cleanest route to a sooner-than-later Eloy Jimenez promotion? Well, so you listed off those five guys, and then obviously if Eloy comes up, then, then somebody's got to go. Um, I, I think that of the five players, Avi Garcia probably has the greatest claim on playing time since he seems to be the, the best player of the five. Um, I think most managers will want to keep at least two players that can cover center field, um, even if one of them is just in a pinch. And I think that on the on the roster, Angle and uh, Leary Garcia are the only two that can do that. So I think that they're both locks to stay. So that leaves Daniel Palka and Nicky Delmonico, uh, the two left-handed, defensively limited hitters. And uh, honestly, I don't know. Nicky Delmonico, since his power seemed to be some sort of juice ball mirage last year, I, I'm really not excited about him, but it would be kind of weird to just punt him after he rehabbed himself all the way to get back up. So I think that the cleanest thing to do um, would actually just be to option Daniel Polka to the minor leagues, at least until rosters expand. And th- by doing that, by doing that to Polka instead of Delmonico, you actually um, don't need to use any options because Polka has already been in the minor leagues for a while this year. So I think that um, kind of temporarily demoting Polka would probably be the cleanest way to do it. Oh, poor Daniel Polka. I agree with you. Yeah. Do you think that Rick Hahn would make such a move? Um, yeah, I, I really hope so. I mean, this is a, we're starting to get around the time where. Um, you know, he started to trigger these promotions last season. Um, I, I think that last time around when, when Mankata came up, he had the benefit of having position players getting traded away. So I, I don't think that Avisil Garcia is going to be traded because he just hasn't been healthy enough. So I think that would probably be the ideal way to, to, to get it done and would make Rick Hahn the most comfortable with it. Um, but, I mean, Ewo is just absolutely killing the ball. He needs to come up. And I think that if push comes to shove, Han will, will make the decision to demote one of those guys to get him here. Well, that will do it for this week's P.O. Sox questions. Thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week. If you have a question that you would like us to tackle on a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast, again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Sox Machine. And again, help support the show by getting additional content every single week from the podcast and from our writing by going to patreon.com slash Sox Machine to sign up to support the show and the website today and before i let you go p Knowles, you are in a serious competition to become the socks math champion what is your strategy moving forward um gosh i, I just 
hope that I can be quick and not mess it up. I've actually gotten the answer wrong quite a bit this year, um, and that's just been trying to rush since there's no prize for second place. Um, hopefully with a more narrow field, I'll, I'll feel more comfortable taking my time and just making sure that I submit something that's right. Has your baseball reference searching skills improved over this time because of Sox math? Oh, I always, I always just read the question and instantly know the, the four parts. I don't, I've never looked at baseball reference in my life. Wow. That's impressive because I can't answer any of those questions without looking up baseball reference. So. Oh, no, I'm actually completely jo- joking. I have no idea who Sal- Salome Barajas was before today, before the other day. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrific. That's a total joke, man. Come on. I thought you'd get that. that's oh that's terrific well best of luck moving forward in socks math just remember you're representing everyone over at socks machine so don't let us down i I always carry that with me (laughs) (laughs) you can read pinoles excellent work at socksmachine.com and you can follow pinoles on twitter he's at socksmock underscore pinoles patrick thank you so much for filling in for jim on answering everyone's po socks questions Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Let's uh, hope for a great second half. And that will do it for this edition of the Sox Machine Podcast. I want to thank Jim Margulis for calling in from Seattle. Joe Ostrowski from 670 to score playing over unders. And of course, you just heard P. Knowles answer your questions in P.O. Sox. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the show in a variety of ways. One is through iTunes by going to the iTunes store, search Sox Machine. If you do listen to us in iTunes, please leave us a review. Love to hear your feedback and thoughts about the show. You can listen to us in Spotify, also on Google Podcasts, where you can now use Google Assistant to say, Hey Google, play the Sox Machine podcast. Also on audioboom.com slash Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.